You're listening to the Detroit Worldwide Podcast, where we highlight the stories of Native Detroiters that are doing great things in their community and using their impact across the globe. I'm Marquise Taylor. Welcome to the D. What up, though? Welcome to another installment of the Detroit Worldwide Podcast. I am Marquise Taylor, and on this week's edition of the podcast, we had the opportunity to sit down, break bread, and chop it up with somebody that's doing some amazing work in the world of media. The person that we had join us on Detroit Worldwide this week was entertainment writer for Newsweek, Janice Williams. And on this particular episode, she talks about that role as well as her transition to New York City. She has held it down there for nearly a decade. And this was an amazing conversation. But I do wanna pause for just one second and acknowledge that we have been on hiatus for a number of months. I appreciate the love, I appreciate the support and everybody that has helped to keep Detroit worldwide going. But I just ask one favor. If you are listening to this podcast on an Apple device, meaning you are streaming it on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Leave your boy a review. Let people know what we are doing. Rate this episode. Rate this podcast. We have many dope guests lined up. This conversation being no exception. And we just want to keep the momentum going. So, if you are listening on an Apple device, please review If you're listening on other streaming platforms like Spotify, just continue to share. Now, all of that being said, it feels damn good to be back. You have heard enough from me. Why don't we dive into the discussion that I had with the one and only Janice Williams. All right. This is Detroit Worldwide. And joining us today is an individual that is doing some amazing work in the world of media. Joining us on this Saturday morning is Janice Williams. Janice, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. What's good? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Oh, for sure, sure. Janice is reporting to us live from New York City. We got connected through one of the homies who was on the podcast not too long ago, the dude Brandon Littlejohn, who was reporting live from Harlem World. So before we get started, I was wondering if you can tell our listening audience more about yourself, including some of the work that you're doing. Yeah, so I'm here, you know, I'm originally from Michigan, Oak Park, right off Nine Mile in Coolidge. And now I'm here living in New York City in Harlem, on the east side, Spanish Harlem. I work for Newsweek as a culture writer. I have articles in print. I have articles online. I've been doing this now, going on almost four years now. Before that, I worked for various other little websites here in New York City. I've always wanted to be in entertainment journalism, and this is really just been a blessing just to be able to kind of grow up and have these dreams and kind of see them fulfilled. I've been doing this for a while now. I've been out here in New York City for nine years, just grinding it out and trying to make the best out of what skills and talents I have. And it's been beautiful, you know. I got here in 2011. I've had some internships. I've done some freelance work. I once was working as a weekend writer, which, you know, was not the most fun, but it got me to where I am today. (laughs) You know, nobody ever wants to work on the weekends if they don't have to. Mm -hmm. I did that for a while before I went full-time with news writing. 
and covering like initially back then I was doing like reality TV news and talking to like housewives and mob wives and love and hip hop <laughs> kind of stuff. Uh, and now I've been at Newsweek for a little bit and I predominantly focus on black entertainment and just trying to tell the stories of the creators that are people of color who kind of don't always get that spotlight especially at a national publication, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's a huge talent pool out there, you know, but I am very passionate about telling the stories of other creators who look like me, you know, and shedding a light on all the things that they're doing. And Newsweek has allowed me to do that in a very wide capacity from music to film to TV. Uh, so it's been great, you know. Yeah, for sure. And I appreciate you sharing that. And I've had the opportunity to look at some of your work, in particular, some of your write-ups on Insecure. I see that you've interviewed many people. I was just on your IG a few days ago, saw that you had a joint with Bill Bellamy. So that's dope that you were able to bring. That was one of my, my dudes. That was my dude. I mean, he still is my dude from back in the day, seeing him on MTV and all those movies and stuff. But I say all this to say that it's good to see you represent the culture in Newsweek because Newsweek, I don't never associate it with being <laughs> a space for, for our people. So that's why I'm like, yo, that's dope. Now I want to go back and let me say this is the first and I made an exception, but it's not that big of a deal. We try to keep it as Detroit as possible, but I know you had a lot of fam that grew up in Detroit. You, you have a, an upbringing, a history that's associated with Detroit. So my question is to you, what did life in Detroit look like for you? Oh, you know, it was great. I have a big family on my mother's side. I was the only one of our family members who kind of grew up in the suburbs in the metro Detroit area. But my mom was very close with her brothers and sisters. Therefore, I ended up being very close with my cousin still to this day. Like, my cousin is my best friend and, um, well, one of them, at least. There's so many of us and we keep in touch. So growing up, you know, I spent a lot of time over my aunts and my uncle's houses, playing outside with my cousins. I had like a lot of cousins that lived off Seven Mile. <laughs> and we used to just, you know, be outside, you know, running around, just having a good time on the block, you know, going to the store or whatever mischief we were getting into, going to the park, you know. But it was very like family, you know, all of those experiences. I think back and it's just all about family. We were very family oriented, you know, going to the park, going to Belau a lot. When I was little, I actually thought that Belau was my park. I did not realize that, <laughs> you know, despite the distance, it was like my park, the giant slide was my slide, you know, kind of situation. But it was it was great, you know. I feel like people don't understand like the love in Detroit, unless you're from there, you know. Even if you're from the metro Detroit area, like, there's a lot of reverence there and the people there are are good people that that work hard and and they know how to take their time to pause and like sit back and watch and see the fruits of their labor and i have many experiences of us being little and growing up and running around outside and riding bikes and all of that and like our parents being there and watching us just play you know they worked so we could play and that was just like such a huge part of my life. That was everything to me growing up back at home. You know, it was just family. We'd be out, literally just outside. That's where my love of being outside came from. <laughs> Hanging out with my cousins on the porch, you know. It, it was a great time. I really love where I come from and, and it's really made me who I am. You know, people there, they struggle, they hustle. They make the best of what they got and they don't give up. And I learned that just from watching people that I was surrounded by, you know, make it work and make it happen. Like even with my own parents, yeah, they moved out of the city and into the suburbs, but they still made it a point to let me know, like, listen, like this is where you come from. This is where we come from. So you come from here too. You know, I was born in Detroit, Sinai. So that's always been with me and it's been a huge contributing factor to who I am today. Yeah, for sure. And I know looking at your bio and us talking offline, a lot of your family, the West Side area was like Seven yeah. Mile Evergreen. 
Yeah, got a lot of family off the west side, Evergreen, Auntie Janice used to live on, uh, like, in between, it was like Pembroke and Seven Mile, like, over yeah. there on, off of Kentfield. Yep. I had my auntie Nunu. I used to hang out with my two cousins. They lived off Rosemont and Seven Mile, right over there by the Southfield Freeway. Mm-hmm. Dottie and Star and BB, they all was off of the Halen and Seven Mile. You know, it, we we were definitely a West Side family. I do have relatives <laughs> that lived on the East, but I didn't. We didn't. We never really went over there that much. Most of us were all located on the West Side. My grandparents, my grandpa, and my grandmother, they used to live off of Hubble over there off of like the lodge kind of area and then for a while they lived off of outer drive in st mary's but my grandpa he moved now but for a long time they lived on outer drive like and i remember just being little and being over our grandparents house me and my cousins we would sit on the front porch and watch the cars drive by and play bingo no snatchies no dibbies <laughs> <laughs> you know like picking out cars like so you know that was yeah, we were definitely like West Siders for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, I know. I li- I lived on Outer Drive for a number of years, so and everything that you mentioned, I know all about it. One amazing thing that I love about you, and this is what prompted me to reach out and have you to be a guest on here, is just your writing. So I'm curious to know when did you first become introduced to writing? Oh man. Probably from the moment I started picking up a pencil, once I was able to read, actually, I will give a lot of credit to my mom. When I was little, you know, and I get upset, she would always just tell me, well, go write down your feelings, mm. you know? So she was very much an advocate of like me journaling and having a diary and things like that. So when I was little and as soon as I was able to read and write, you know, that's when I started writing. I used to write a lot of stories. I would share them with my friends a lot, you know, just like making up fictional stories and characters and stuff like that. And for a long time, I used to write Dragon Ball Z fan fiction. Mm. <laughs> and I would send, I would literally send the notebook to one of my friends. She would read it and send it back to me with like notes. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been writing literally from the moment I don't, I can't recall a time in which I didn't write. Mm-hmm. You know, the only time I can think about was before I was able to read and write. That's just always been in me. It's always been a part of me. It's always been something that I wanted to do. It has always been my outlet, you know, like even now being here in New York in this pandemic, like I've been journaling and writing just the experience of what it's like on a regular daily basis almost on top of writing for work. Like I, I love writing. It's the way in which I'm able to fully express myself. That probably stems from, you know, just being younger and, you know, having my mom tell me like, well, go in there and write it down because you ain't going to say this to me, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? So all my life I've been writing for literally from the moment I could pick up a pencil and could form words and knew how to spell. That's so dope. I mean, first of all, as you were talking about your story, you brought me back to my childhood and not to take up a long time telling this story. I was sort of the same way, except my mom didn't tell me right out my feelings. I had other means of getting out my frustration, but that's beside the point. But when you brought up Dragon Ball Z, you made me think about a time I was super obsessed and still am to a degree of Sonic the Hedgehog. Mm. And I used to play the game all the time, so much so that I started to write stories about Sonic. I sent in a character that I developed to Sega for it to be copywritten. Obviously, the character did not appear in any Sonic games. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here today. But (laughs) I say all this to say that writing and just being imaginative helped me to foster that creative side and it sounds like it did the same for you especially when you brought up Dragon Ball Z and you exchanging stories with your friend and writing is just one of those outlets that allows us to especially black people to have the autonomy to be creative and for us to just share our feelings give an example that you articulated earlier yeah yeah definitely you know I think that like as black people just historically we weren't given a lot 
by you know we we've had a struggle just from slavery on down the line and i think that writing has been a great way to create our own worlds and escape to our own little places of refuge and it's certainly been that way for me you know on my toughest days i can write something a little short story or whatever even if it's just like writing news and just being able to focus on that and just shut out everything that's going on and and take this one idea and just see what words you can put in a sentence to create a whole other world like i, I love it I, I don't know what else i would be doing you know i've for a long time i've said like if this was my only option was to, to write you know i always loved news too so it kind of just worked out in that way i was a news junkie when i was a kid and, mm. and weirdly <laughs> i was a kid that really enjoyed watching the news so <laughs> and reading it too so it's just yeah i think writing is just definitely like like it's an escape and it's a great outlet that's what it's been for me mm-hmm. i love that i love that so you mentioned your love for writing and you being able to do it since you've been able to pick up a utensil. I am curious to know elementary, middle school, high school, and then you get to Oakland University. What led you to Oakland University and what were your initial thoughts of this campus? So really, I wasn't led to Oakland University. Mm. Like It was almost like Oakland picked me okay (laughs) like very quite literally i was in a honors program when i was in high school and basically through that they were like vetting me almost my whole entire high school career and then when it was time to get to you know school i had a a partial scholarship from them Mm. like I i didn't have to pay tuition so it pretty much i wanted to go to my brother went to michigan state So I wanted to kind of go there. I really wanted to go to Central Michigan because they have a great, I wanted to do broadcasting before I thought that I was just gonna do news writing. I thought, you know, I was gonna do broadcasting and eventually become the next black Juliana Rancic and work for E! News. (laughs) I really wanted to go to Central because they had a great broadcast news program. But basically what happened was I wanted to go to a few different schools and I applied to a couple, but you know, when my parents saw that OU was giving me a partial scholarship and all they were going to have to pay for was like room and board and books and stuff, it was just like, oh girl, this is where you going. (laughs) (laughs) Like if you think we about to help you with anything, like this is going to be the school for you. So Mm -hmm. I went and before maybe the year before I got there, my senior year, they did have us come up and do like a campus tour. I stayed a weekend with some of the freshmen that were living there. They had a program where we could stay the weekend and mm-hmm. stay with like people that were already there. And it was a small campus, but it was beautiful. And you know, you all the way up there in Rochester. I had never been to Rochester, Michigan before. Like I didn't know what was out there. Mm-hmm. And it was really just like a beautiful little oasis essentially you know and a lot of greenery a lot of trees and grass I don't know it was beautiful so I was just like all right well I guess this is it for me I'm gonna go here and I got there and it was like it's it's not a big school but it's very community oriented you know um I had a tribe there and we ran around, we had a great time while we were all there, you know? And it wasn't a lot of black people there, but we all found each other, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, as we do. Yeah. Now, you mentioned earlier, you wanted to become a broadcast journalist, but you also had the opportunity during your time at Oakland to do an internship that kind of prompted you to sort of do a career change or a pivot, if you will. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that experience. Yeah, so this might have been around my junior year of college. I got an internship at Local 4, mm-hmm. the broadcast news channel. But the first internship I had was for their website, clickondetroit.com. Mm-hmm. And it was just a, a small team of people, Barb, uh, Rothel, gosh, I always forget how to pronounce her last name, but 
this one woman, she took me on. It was literally like I wouldn't interview for the position in the first day there. She was like, well, when can you start? And I'm like, well, I can come on Wednesday. <laughs> and she's like, okay, great. So <laughs> I did that. I did the online and it got to a point where I was there so often because I just loved being in a news station and like where I sat was like right where Carmen Harlan's mm. office was. So I used to get to see her and I was, like I said, I was a news nerd growing up. So mm. that right there was just like epic for me. Like, oh, I see Carmen Harlan every Wednesday and Friday, <laughs> you know? And it got to a point where, you know, it was, I probably started it my second semester of junior year. And then it was the summer and it was like, okay, well, Janice, it's about to be the end of the semester. So what do you want to do? Do you want to stay on and you can keep, you know, interning through the summer or we can end an internship now. And I was able to continue interning there for the website, clickondetroit.com throughout the summer. And I wrote, I basically did like the weekend announcements like that was like my job essentially like everything that was happening in Detroit over the weekend I would run news in that section and this is what happened or this is what's coming up blah 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 mm -hmm. and then I had really one great exciting day where it was like a big fire downtown and I saw like the smoke on my way driving down to the news station mm -hmm. And one of the other writers who was like full time, she was on vacation, so they needed help. So I was able to like get my first taste of like writing breaking news mm -hmm. on website through that. And because I was there for so long, you know, I ended up kind of knowing people who ran it. And it was other woman who knew that I was interested in broadcast news. So she asked if I wanted in the fall to do another internship and I could intern with the investigative news team. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was down for that. I worked with Karen Drew specifically and, mm -hmm. and you know, when I got that internship and broadcast and just like broadcast local news, it's hard. It was probably the hardest four months of my life. Mm. <laughs> You know, and I was starting in school. I was a senior then. And I just knew right off the bat, like, yeah, this isn't for me. And I'm not really interested in being on camera. I, I really enjoyed writing the news as opposed to, like, telling the news. Mm -hmm. So I did that internship and it was fine. And then that's kind of what led me down the path of, you know what? I can be in print. I can be in online news. Because back then... It wasn't a huge online news presence, you know, back in like, what was that, maybe 2009, 2010. Mm -hmm. It was still like the internet, people were mostly still blogging, but there were a few places where it was like, okay, our format is online journalism because this is the wave of the future. So really that internship set me up in a way in which at the time, I didn't even know. I didn't even realize what was happening, you know, but that was really the guide map to what I do now today, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that's dope because like you, I was also somewhat of a news junkie growing up. As you were talking, as you brought up Carmen Harlan, I thought about Bill Bonds, I thought about Diane Lewis, all yeah, of the OGs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All of the OGs, Mort Krim. <laughs> I'm just thinking, thinking back to my era when I grew up in the D, seeing those people on the news. And of course, they're synonymous with our Hugh Perkins. Obviously, that's another person that comes to mind. <laughs> but I think for me, and maybe you had this similar situation, when I was in undergrad, they really, I don't want to say forced but they really promoted like the hard news and hard news always, I never was drawn to it. I was always drawn to like the entertainment, just things that, the stuff that I was interested in. Did you have like a similar experience even though you did like the internships or? Yeah, yeah, even in college. I had a really great professor in college, Gary Gilbert. He actually mm -hmm. was an editor at the Oakland Press mm -hmm. and he always, I had him for several different classes, or journalism classes, but he was my first journal. When I had like journalism one-on-one or whatever, he was my first professor. And 
he always preached the importance of hard news. Mm-hmm. But the whole reason behind it was because if you can, if you can write hard news, if you can report hard news, you can tell any story. Mm. Because those are the hardest things to tell, you know. If you can get down the fundamentals of the who, what, when, where, and why mm-hmm. of some scandalous, outrageous thing that just happened, then you can tell that for any genre and mm-hmm. any other facet of life. You know, you know how to tell a story and, and make it jump off the page almost, you know. Mm-hmm. That's why they call it hard news because it's not easy. <laughs> but I think I had a lot of different classes where everything we did, I even had like a broadcast journalism class and we had to, our like final project, we had to record a whole entire broadcast news about campus, like campus news package. And that was ran in a very structured way where it was catering towards you know, well, what's the inside story? You need a scoop, you need a source, you need all these fundamentals to make it work. And I was not necessarily interested in hard news. I always was more leaning towards entertainment. Like I said, I I used to watch E! News all the time and I loved Brian Seacrest and Juliana Rancic. And, you know, it just looked so much more fun to be on the red carpet talking to the stars as opposed to, you know, gotta go get somebody whose son just got popped in a drive-by and get them to talk to me, you know? So I always leaned more entertainment, but yeah, I feel like it was necessary for me to learn hard news Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, you need to know how to do it. You need to know how to report it. You need to know how to write that story because, you know, it gets to a point where sometimes it's all hands on deck, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you got to know how to do it. No, that, that's facts. And I love your perspective and I appreciate hearing that from you because that's the thing that, I mean, unfortunately, it, it prompted me to change my major. Like, I don't feel like writing about it because I want to write in the source. I want to write for double XL. Like, y'all not talking about what I want to talk about. And I ended up switching my major over to English at the time, which, you know, still helped me to become a critical writer and still doing some of those same things. But the hard news, it always turned me off and I always wanted to not write about that. So that's why your perspective is is welcome and I appreciate you sharing that information. Now, you graduate from Oakland. You came out with the 2010, 2011, right? Yeah, 2010. Okay. So where did life take you after that? Um... So life kind of hit a pause after that. (laughs) I didn't have a job. I wasn't really finding work in my field. You know, they don't necessarily, I mean, they kind of tell you like, you're not going to get a job right away. But I just don't think being that young and green, you don't think that that's going to be your situation. So I graduated. I wasn't really working. I was kind of just bumming it out. I went through a real hard party phase where I was just like going to the Elysium every Friday. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was the January in 2011, I had one of my cousins here in New York City passed away. Mm. And he was young. And we came here for his funeral and I wanted to stay with my other cousin, Kristen, and mm-hmm. like talked about it and she asked her dad if I could stay and he was like, yeah. But then when I told my parents, they were like, girl, you coming home. You don't have no money. You don't have no job. How you gonna stay here? How you gonna get home? Who's gonna provide for you while you're here? You don't have these things. So you coming home. And I just remember us in that truck crossing the George Washington Bridge and I was looking out the window and I was so mad. I was so mad because they were right. It was like, yeah, like I can't, I don't have anything. I don't have nothing to to prompt me to stay here for real other than just having a good time. I don't have no money, most importantly, and New York is expensive. Mm-hmm. And I told them that day we were leaving and I looked back as we were crossing the bridge and I told them, I'm like, I'm moving to New York and I ain't coming back. And they were just like, okay, girl. (laughs) And four months later, April, April 10th, 2011, I had one suitcase and a backpack 
And I rolled out one way ticket, $124 on Spirit Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that was it. And I had to work, you know, I had to find a job. I stayed with my cousin and her mom let me stay. And I told her I would be out of her house by July of that same year. And I got a job. I was working as an overnight manager at Hollister on on Fifth Avenue. Mm -hmm. I was working overnight, but then I was interning during the day. It was tough. Like I had internships at Us Weekly, internship at Hollywood Life. And I was just doing like online news for both of those publications and and working at night. I would work nine to six, 9 p.m. to 6 a.m., go mm. home, take a nap, and be at my internship by like 11 o'clock. You know, I didn't sleep a lot, but, and it was hard. It was hard, but you know, I, I wanted to stay here and I knew that there was nothing at home for me. I couldn't get a job in my field. I wasn't really able to get internships without college credit back at home. But in New York, back in those days, like, yeah, they hire you for an internship. And I just knew, like, if I kept going at it, eventually something was going to pop off. And, and it did. It took some time, and it was a lot of hard work. It was a lot of sleepless nights, um, but a lot of five-hour energy drinks. But I made it happen. <laughs> Man, first of all, let me just say that your grind is impressive because when you mention your shift at Hollister and then jumping into these internships, the amount of sleep that you were able to get, or rather the lack thereof, but you still were out there grinding. I mean, that's commendable, but at the same time, like you were very driven and really putting yourself out there. So definitely got to give my uh, props to you on that. Now, the other thing I do want to ask you, I know you said that, you know, going to visit your cousin and of course the funeral and condolences. I know that was a number of years ago, but still condolences to you on that, going out to New York. But when you were living out there, what was your first impressions of the Big Apple? What was that like? Oh, it was crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, when they say it's the city that never sleeps, they were mm -hmm. not lying. <laughs> you know, coming from, coming from Detroit, we are we are more people we're not homebodies there per se like but you know you gotta get out and you gotta drive you gotta make a plan to go a place but when i came to new york i very quickly realized the moment you leave your home you're not coming back until you like stay in there you know like so you like time to go to sleep like when you leave the crib here you out for the whole day and who knows where you might end up people mm. just the movement here it was fascinating it doesn't matter what time of the day or night people are always moving people always have somewhere to be mm -hmm. whether it's for work or whether it's for play people are always on the move here and honestly i found that really inspiring you know and, and that kind of helped me in those early days when i was working overnight, you know, because I would have to get on a train at night or, or early in the morning coming home, but it would still be full. It's still people on their way to work at nine. It's still people coming home from work at 6 a.m. It's still people going to work as, you know, it's just always people constantly moving, constantly going places. And and that that was a big help help for me, just watching the first few weeks when I first got here, I would just like take the train and go get lost. Like, well, I'm going to take the train to this stop and see what's there. I'm going to take mm. the bus to this place. I had never been on the bus until I moved to New York City. <laughs> like, you know, and and you never know who people are in terms of, like, the mix, in terms of class. Everybody's on the train, whether you live on Park Avenue in a building with a doorman or whether you live in like the slum somewhere everybody's together all the time you don't know who is who and who got what mm. it's so blended and i really found that inspiring you know i had never been around that many people all the time mm. now you mentioned the internships that you participated in when you first arrived to new york and then of course you're currently at newsweek right now Tell us about some of the places that you've been able to lend your talent as a writer since being in New York in 2011. Yeah, um, 
my first internship was at this website called Hollywood Life. It was an entertainment news, kind of gossipy type of place. But honestly, like that put me everywhere. I was able to go to my first fashion week because of that place. And so I worked there for a while. Then I had an internship at Us Weekly. I was able to do some writing at Us Weekly, but the internships there were just real internships. Like I was getting coffee there. Mm. <laughs> Whereas like at Hollywood Life, I was actually writing stories. On, like every time I was there, I was writing at least one or two stories every shift. From there, I went to a place called Stylecaster, also a website. And then I got... Uh, they had like a, who was it, a weekend freelancer? It was like a weekend freelance position at this website that is now defunct called Fashion and Style. So I got that position and first it was just freelance. Then they, were, they asked me if I could just be the weekend writer. And I did that for a while. And then they brought me on full time Monday through Friday and I covered reality TV. Mm. And that's really where I was able to get my feet wet. You know, I was able to interview some of the real housewives of New York and some of the mob wives. I talked to almost everybody on that cast except for Big Ange. <laughs> um, you know, people from Love and Hip Hop and and all of this stuff. That's where I really started getting, getting those interviews and talking to people and writing about this show and that show or whatever. But then in, I want to say... I started working at full-time at Fashion and Style was 2014. But then in 2015, that website got bought by IBT, which was the parent company of Newsweek. Mm -hmm. So they had like a number of little publications, but Newsweek was their like big bill. So they bought Fashion and Style, but then it was like a few months after that, it was a crazy round of layoffs. That's the one thing about media, like it's always some layoffs somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's a hard industry. So they did a crazy round of layoffs and then they decided that they were going to fold the website that I worked for, but they wanted to keep me. Mm. Me and like uh, three other people maybe stayed on and they moved me to another website called International Business Times but I was no longer writing about entertainment. I was on the marijuana reform beat, mm. <laughs> which was interesting. It was fun. I enjoyed that. So for me doing that, I was there until about 2000, what was 2016, 2017, maybe. And then basically what was happening was Newsweek wanted to really expand their digital profile. Print is the dying industry is what they say. Mm -hmm. It's growing really niche. It's hard to kind of keep up and websites is where it's at right now just in terms of general media. You can have that news with the click of a button instead of waiting for it to get delivered to your door once a week. So they wanted to expand upon their website. And so I was selected along with, it was me, I was the only woman. <laughs> and it was like me and five other guys and they had us do an experiment where we were gonna write breaking news on Newsweek's website. Mm -hmm. So we did the experiment and that just expanded to, well, we want you to just stay, you know, at Newsweek. And we're gonna really like up the profile there for their online news. And so I stayed on and then I was a Newsweek writer. And then I did breaking news for a little while, but essentially they moved me over to the culture section and that's how I got back into writing entertainment news. And I've been doing that since 2017. Mm, mm. That is quite the journey from all that you've experienced going to New York and 2011 to what you're doing now. Like, that's one hell of a journey there. You mentioned some of the people that you've had the opportunity to interview. I know you mentioned like the Housewives of New York and the Mob Wives and Love and Hip Hop New York as well. Was it Love and Hip Hop New York? I, yeah. Yeah, Love and Hip Hop New York. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I had the correct one because I know people get kind of <laughs> picky <me>. about it. <laughs> no, no, I, I hear you. But who are some other people you've had the opportunity to interview, if you don't mind me asking? 
yeah, when I got to Newsweek, you know, that really upped my profile, I guess. People answer the phone for you then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so at Newsweek, one of my first interviews was actually, my first big interview to me was actually Issa Rae. I like instantly mm. started covering Insecure right out the gate. Mm-hmm. I interview her. I interview Yvonne Orji. I interview Jay Ellis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so those are like my beginnings. Then as time went by, I was able to interview even bigger people. I've interviewed Tracy Ellis Ross about Blackish. I've talked to Idris Elba about Luther, which was like crazy. I was freaking out over that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had like a great, amazing conversation over the phone with Quavo when they dropped Culture 2. Mm. <laughs> he was at Waffle House and he called me. He was early and I was not expecting that. Like, okay, Quavo, you ready? He's like, yeah, that's why I'm calling. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it was crazy, you know. You just, I wasn't expecting him to be early, let alone on time. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I talked to. Um, so I like sometimes I get into like my nature and space nerdy things and I was able to interview Ron Howard for Nat, mm. Nat Geo. He has this show. It's like a docu-series called Mars. And I ended up at like a luncheon for the show and was sitting right next to him. It was crazy. I'm like, Ron, like happy days, Ron. <laughs> it was crazy. Mm. So him, I've interviewed my first magazine spread was with Brian Tyree Henry. He plays Paperboy. Paperboy on, yeah. yeah. And that was great. He was a great person to talk to. Yeah. Um, who else? There's so many people I feel like I could just keep name dropping. I was able to interview, have you ever seen She's Gotta Have It on Netflix? I was able to talk to that whole cast. I went to the premiere. Wow. And they had like a little red carpet and Spike Lee wasn't giving interviews, but he was like chit-chatting with people as he entered the building. And that was cool. I was able to like say hello and speak to him. Recently, I've been trying to start focusing a little bit more on showrunners, directors, and, and like filmmakers, because I'm finding them to be incredibly interesting. I was able to talk to Kenya Barris about his new show, Black AF, which is super controversial. I've seen mm-hmm. on Twitter. Yeah, it's been a lot of people. It's been a lot of people. Like, I forget sometimes because it's just like, you get to a point where it's just what you just work, so. It's what you do, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but I think maybe one of my, I always say my Quavo interview was super, my favorite one out of all Mm. of them because he really took me by surprise and had a lot to say, and I found him to be, like, incredibly fascinating. Mm, mm. But the Idris Elba one was pretty fire, too. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask you which one was your favorite, but I'm glad that you were able to answer that. But I mean, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm like, yo, those are like some heavy hitters. But one question I am curious to know about is what have you been able to learn about yourself as a black woman working in mainstream media? I think it's really showed me that how resilient I am. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because even at Newsweek, like on the editorial staff, I'm the only black woman. But beyond the only black woman, I'm the only black person. So, Mm. you know, there are other people of color that work there, a small few, but I'm the only like black person in that newsroom that does editorial. Mm. And on one, when I first kind of started it, when I first realized it, it made me really sad. You know, just because it's like, wow, like, I know, like, how much work and effort I put in to be here, but there, it's just not necessarily a place where they searching for us mm. in the media until you, like, on and pop it. That's when everybody wants a piece of you. And mm. I think it's just showed me that even despite any adversities you might face, because there are a lot of them, like, you still have to stand tall, you have to stand firm, and you have to know who you are, know where you come from, be respectful and just keep working. You know, it's made me incredibly resilient. I go into work every day and I try to make it the best day that I can have because I know if I'm not the one who's at this place trying to tell these stories, who else is going to do it, you know? So, yeah, like resilience, perseverance. I didn't know that I had the type of perseverance that I have now until I started working in this industry and it's it's a requirement because mm. 
every day varies from one day to the next. And you just really have to like be firm in your ambitions. So that's yeah. the thing that it's taught me. I love it. I love it. Now we are heading into the home stretch and I want to bring it back a little bit. And before I do so, again, I just want to thank you for coming on here, taking the time out of your day. I know being a writer is not easy, especially everything that you said you done and probably have a busy schedule. So again, much appreciative for you taking the time out of your day. But circling back to Detroit for a second, everybody who comes on Detroit Worldwide, I asked them this following question. If they had to identify a song in their opinion that best represents Detroit, what would that song be? And let me preface by saying it does not have to be from a Detroit artist. This is my favorite segment of the podcast. So Janice, I put it on you. Go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's such a difficult question to ask. There's so many songs. Okay. I'm going to say that, like, my the one song that represents, and this is, like, a Detroit song, and I don't care. And I will always look back fondly on my memories of riding around with my homegirls and us blasting. Blaze said, what up? By mm. <laughs> like that was an era Blade Icewood was like uh so beautiful and fire and just represented an era of flossy and fly Detroitness that that just really accentuated the, everything that the city had to offer and and you know when that happened when he passed away that was like just so sad and and really I felt like we lost somebody who could have been really great like mm -hmm. that way but then also another song that's like not Detroit Maxwell something something mm. you know because living there is something but we fly we smooth you know it's nothing like a Detroit player even still now living in New York I'm, that's who I, I'm attracted to almost all of my friends who I did not know at home come from home you know, we just smoothed it and we all like got that little something, something. And I can remember finally riding around the city with my parents. My dad used to have a little, a blue Cadillac and we used to drive downtown on the lodge and they would be playing Maxwell something, something. And it's just like, I was little and don't even really know what Maxwell talking about, but like, you know, and now as an adult, every time I hear that song, that's immediately all I can think about is cruising around D. Mm. Cruising around mm. the D with, with my family and we listening to Maxwell, something, something. Mm. Mm. And then getting older and riding around with my friends and being ratchet. Listening <laughs> <laughs> what up? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, that's dope. That's dope. Um, you know, shout out to Blade. A little bit after my era, but, you know, always respecting what he did for the city and just the, his sound and stuff like that. But the Maxwell, that is, that's first of all, that's one of my favorite albums, Urban Haynes Suite. Maxwell is one of my favorite artists as well. But yeah, I mean, both of those songs, those are very unique choices. So I thank you for that. Now, you're at Newsweek but I also know that you have some projects that you're working on. So my question is, what is next for you and how can we best support you as a community? Yeah, I mean, other than like work right now, I am really focusing on, I've all, like I said, I've always written and written creatively. Right now I'm really just working on, I'm about to self-publish my first piece of work, a book, a collection of like poems, poetry and prose that I'm hoping to get out by June. So I'll keep you posted. Just keep following me on Instagram and especially Twitter. That's where I'm most active, of course. But you know, that honestly, those are, that's the biggest thing I'm working on. And I also too have a penchant for wine. I just actually hosted a wine tasting, a virtual wine tasting last night. Mm. And if, you know, anyone is interested in exploring that world, I have a wine diary on Instagram. It's browngirl underscore drinks wine. And I, I really enjoy wine. I love like the stories that come from drinking wine and making wine and the people. It's so much, so, such an intricate process, almost kind of like writing. So um, uh -huh. 
I uh, definitely am hoping to foster. I don't really know just quite yet what I want to do with it, but I do enjoy kind of doing little tastings and answering questions. I know that that's a world that people of color and Black people especially haven't had the pleasure of immersing themselves in. There are very few Black sommeliers and Black people that work in wine outside of like manual labor. And I'm interested in helping more people of color become educated in the world of wine. So those two things are like my passion projects. Okay. (laughs) Well, whenever those things jump off, especially the writing, definitely let us know. We make sure that people know about that and even the wine too, when that jumps off, definitely keep me updated and I'll make sure our listeners know about that. You mentioned your social media presence on Twitter and Instagram. Where can people find you in those spaces? Yeah, I am Manhattan Jan on Twitter and um, on Instagram, both handles. But I do also have, like I said, my Instagram wine diary is browngirl underscore drinks wine. For sure. And then people can see your work on Newsweek. How often is it? Every day, every week? Oh, yeah, every day. Every day, okay. (laughs) Okay. Monday through Friday, and sometimes I might schedule the story to go live on the weekend, too. So, you know, you can find, in the culture section, you'll find all my work there. Okay, the grind doesn't stop. The grind does not stop at all. Well, last question I want to ask you, and again, thank you so much for coming on here. And that question is simple. What does Detroit mean to you? Oh man, Detroit means home. It means family, really. Most importantly, it means family. Family first. I wouldn't be where I am today without my family. And they all have contributed to my growth as just a human being, you know, outside of my work. But they've certainly contributed to that. They're my biggest supporters. My number one fans, essentially, you know, my family is everything. And and that's what Detroit means. It means family, you know, everybody there, no matter who is in your family, how it's made, what it's comprised of. We all have a sense of family and, and it unites all of us. Mm-hmm. Couldn't say it any better myself. Janice, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us on Detroit Worldwide. I share this with you offline and I'll share this with you on air. It's always good to connect with a writer, especially somebody that's doing the amazing work that you're doing. I appreciate your vote of confidence for me as I'm just now entering back into the field of it. But as you mentioned earlier in this conversation, writing never leaves you. So I thank you so much for what you're doing. Keep up the good work. Stay safe out there in New York City. Shout out to the homie, Brandon Littlejohn, for connecting the two of us. And keep doing what you're doing, fam. You got a supporter in me. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So on behalf of Janice Williams, I am Marquise. This is Detroit Worldwide, and we're going to holler at y'all on the other side. Peace. Peace.